and welcome to the Music Works podcast. I'm Katie Beersworth, director and founder of Polyphony Arts, and today, instead of uh, my usual industry guests, I am here with two members of my wonderful team at Polyphony Arts to talk about some of our top tips and some do's and don'ts for the tricky subject of applications for jobs in the arts. But first, here's a message from our sponsor. Music Works is generously supported by Allianz Musical Insurance, the UK's number one musical instrument insurer. Allianz offer a team of music experts who understand musicians' needs and lifestyles, especially helpful during the strange times we're in. You can get cover for all types of instruments and musical equipment with protection against accidental damage, loss, theft and more. And unlike home insurance, there's no excess to pay on instrument or accessory claims. At the moment, Allianz have a special online offer with two months free cover. Not only that, every Allianz music policy now includes free legal assistance and support so you can protect yourself both as a musician and in your personal life. Find out more at alliancemusic.co.uk. Allianz, serving the music community since 1960, proud to be the insurer of choice for over 70,000 musicians. So now let's go over to the Music Works studio and meet some of the team. Welcome to Music Works, Susie and Rachel. Thanks so much for joining. Hello. Thank you for having us. So today um, we welcome Susie Murray and Rachel Lockwood. And um, between the three of us, we are um, three of the team members at Polyphony Arts. Um, Susie is our Head of Artists and Projects and Rachel is our Operations Manager and you all know me. Um, and we have been um, doing some recruiting recently and um, you know, reading lots of CVs and um, doing shortlisting and as three people who have had a lot of experience of doing this uh, in the music industry over our careers, um, we were discussing a few, um, a few tips that we would like to impart to, to people um and we thought it would be really good to have a conversation on this podcast a little bit like the one we were having in shortlisting where we were saying we love this um you know this is something that um we we think it doesn't help people if they do and to help people in what is an incredibly um busy and challenging job market at the moment um so i hope that you will find this helpful and um thank you guys for coming on and uh imparting your tips um so we've all got a lot to say i'm sure where shall we start i'll tell you what let's start with um i don't think you've been on one of our podcasts before rachel no i haven't so welcome to music works thank Do you want you. to give us a bit of an overview of your of your background and um yeah so i sort of i applied for a lot of jobs when i left university i went to university then music college i graduated in from university in 2008 which was into a nice big crash so I have a lot of empathy for the people who are currently graduating into the pandemic and similarly facing a pretty much unprecedented work situation. I applied for about 80 jobs, got three interviews and eventually got a job which I hadn't applied for or interviewed for, but at a place that I had interviewed for a different job at. Um, I worked and then I did a year in that job, which was running a, doing the administration on a piano festival. And then that same place needed an emergency cover in the orchestra management department so I moved across to orchestra management for a maximum of three months and eight years later I'm still doing orchestra management at a different organization um, and uh, then I left that due to going on maternity leave and I then applied for this job with Flipping Arts and so now I'm working in the artist management side but still doing um, sort of uh like processes running and keeping things running behind the scenes which was pretty much my job in orchestra management uh, minus fixing which is the orchestra management job of ringing people find people who will come and sit on the stage with the right instrument and play <laughs> brilliantly um so yeah that's that's my kind of work background um i uh yeah so very happy great and Susie um you have been on before a while ago but uh do um reintroduce yourself to the music sure. work audience, music work audience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, intro I feel yeah I need to also give my career history so, um, 
<laughs> no, it's great. So I graduated 2009. So um, the year after the horrible crash, and things were definitely a bit better by then. So I, I can't, I don't quite have that same experience. Um, although my partner did graduate in 2008, so he had that same thing. So um, yes, I graduated with a music degree. I um, did uh, a few uh, short-term contracts and internships at various music agencies. I got in very quickly, deciding that music agency world was what I was going to go for. Um, was fortunate enough to get a job at Askinus Holt, um, one of the big agencies, and then I was there for 10 years. So I must admit, I can't say I'm the most seasoned person when it comes to applying and changing jobs, because I, I did sit there for a very long time, um, uh, obviously loving every moment. And then uh, last September, I came to join Polyphony Arts. Um, and Katie and I, uh, we already knew each other. So I must admit, it was a slight more of a sort of headhunty situation. Rather than <laughs> Definitely. Again, less qualified, unfortunately, in terms of recent applications. However, when I was at um, Askinus, I did, I helped with several rounds of recruitments for assistant artist managers. And uh, since being at Polyphony, I've also helped uh, with a bit of recruitment. So I feel like over my um, 12 years now of, of working experience, I, I've I've gone through a lot of CVs in that time. I've done many interview um, panels and uh, I've, I've sort of spotted things, which is very interesting to see on the other side, because sometimes you think something's obvious and then you see a lot of people aren't doing it or they are making a mistake. And actually, um, hopefully today it can be a, just a nice kind of relaxed, informal, but brainstorming session where we can point out some of those common errors. <laughs> Absolutely. And actually you saying that just reminded me that I was having this discussion with my husband about um, general recruitment advice. And when he he was once given a piece of advice um, by a, a, in a, a sort of um, in a recruitment and um, interviewing um, workshop that it was completely acceptable to take notes into interviews. And this is sort of like unknown um, but useful piece of advice and then he later did that and one of the pieces of feedback he got from the interviewer was that they really didn't like how he'd taken notes in so it's not just about giving kind of standard advice it's about like you know I guess it's our perspectives on what we see um, and I, I do have a story really difficult. yeah because you get different advice from different people because I've been told before it's a bit of feedback like never put colour on your CV it makes you look like a teenager and mm. I've also been told oh well, your CV was all black and we really like to see a little bit of colour on your mm. you know just to highlight things and I think that it's, um, there's a lot of very specific advice out there. I'd just say be wary of that kind of very specific <clears throat> advice because what's acceptable yeah. and what's acceptable. But there's, I think there's something to be said there for thinking about the fact that you're also interviewing the employer. So if you yeah. are applying in a way that's authentic to you and that you feel looks is fine and acceptable and good, especially when it's something like have you put have you colored your name on your cv as opposed to made it black and white it's it might it might well be that that is not a good place for you to work because it just means that you're not going to gel in so many different ways yeah absolutely i think that's a really good point so all about um i do think there are exceptions and i do i do actually have a, a story about um about an interview that I did where uh, someone where someone in this room <laughs> did something that I wouldn't necessarily recommend um but absolutely nailed the job interview which I'll come to later yeah I just think it's really interesting but yeah I, have, I will save that for a bit later when we've got into things but since you guys have given a sense of your experience of being interviewed as well as your experience of or, or, of being applicants I guess um I'll just add in mine as well so I like Susie graduated in 2009 um applied for lots and lots of jobs both in and outside the music industry in a kind of state of I must now earn money um because I have no longer got any studying to do um and eventually I went through a very interesting phase of in of applying and interviewing for jobs some of which were a great fit for me and some of which were a terrible fit for me like really terrible fit for me um and in the end um learn a lot about how it feels to apply for the wrong jobs and interview for the wrong jobs. I'm I'm fairly, it seems from the experience that I have that I'm fairly convincing at writing job applications. I'm quite good at getting interviews for things, even if they're really bad things. However, I bad things for me, I mean. Um, but I rarely got offered jobs that were actually a really bad fit. And this is something that I think is interesting is that actually um, there is something about you as the, in, as the, as the candidate making informed and good choices about what you think is going to be really good for you now this is very nuanced piece of advice with obviously situations with like universal credit needing to apply for certain numbers of jobs obviously financial constraints and so on but nonetheless um 
I think in particular for people who are feeling bad about um, applying for lots of jobs and not getting them, there's definitely something in that. Yeah, well, and again, and this was kind of... Um, I, I experienced this again around the time when I was going freelance. Anyone who knows my story of setting up Polyphony Arts knows that I did it in a kind of very difficult time in my life when my mum had just died and my son was very young and I was very conflicted about what I wanted to do. And effectively, I went freelance sort of um, as a kind of... Like, it was what was on offer to me. I knew I had to leave my job at the time. I went freelance, but I still kept on applying for jobs for about a year afterwards. Um, and it wasn't until I spent about a year doing that. And at some point I said to myself, the freelance work is coming in super easy and the jobs just aren't. And that I had a huge period then of interviewing for things and never getting them, even though I thought they were actually things that I felt really qualified for. And I thought, actually, there's something in this that's telling me that this isn't the right route. Um, so that was another another sort of phase of my um, application experience. <laughs> um, so yes, right. So now you know who we are and where we're coming from with this. Um, oh, the other thing that I wanted to say that I haven't said yet is that we are going to use examples of things that people have done, but they're very, they're not, they're going to be anonymized. They're not from any, they're from our entire careers across um, all of the recruitment we've done. And um, they're not necessarily, if we tell a story, it's not necessarily all about the same person or anything like that. So it's, you know, um, it's all about um, being helpful to people. And essentially, I completely respect anyone, anything that anyone is trying to do to get a job in this, um, in the various uncertain markets that there have been over the past decade or so. Uh, right, where shall we start? Let's, um, we're going to be compiling a list of top tips for you in this episode but let's let's start with the discussion so Rachel do you want to uh, to start with um with your take on on yeah. what people need to know about applying for jobs at the moment I think it's quite interesting again this is something I'm kind of bringing both from the CVs we went through for the army recruitment and also my experience when I because I actually took a couple of gap years in my in my late 20s and so I actually applied for a lot of jobs that weren't necessarily relevant to the arts but just to kind of fund my sort of bumming around the world and um, I think it is quite important when you're putting together your CV. It's, it, this is this is advice that I think I'm I'm happy to state my name on this one. You need to tailor your CV and your cover letter to the post you're applying for. Like you, you need to do that. It doesn't matter what what job you're applying for. That's you need to do that. And so I think it's really important to bear in mind that your CV doesn't have to include every single thing you've ever done. It should include the most relevant things that you've done for the job you're applying to. And I think that's particularly important at the moment because we've got a lot more people than we probably normally have seen who've lost their job in the arts during the pandemic and have gone off and done something completely unrelated. And then they're coming back into the workforce. And I just want to say this out, that is, we completely understand that. And this is a this is something that I think, if, if you're, again, if you're applying to an employer who doesn't get that you need to put a roof over your head and food on the table, even when you've remained redundant, that's not an employer you want to work for. No, so absolutely. Any employer who you want to work for, who anyone should want to work for, shouldn't really care if you've done something not relevant for a year or so while this situation was going on. So if you took a job that's completely unrelated, whether that be warehouse stacking or driving or whatever you need to do, that doesn't have to be at the top of your CV as the most recent post you did. If you want to be clear that you haven't just been twiddling your thumbs for a year, if you've managed to get another job to tide you over, put a single sentence in, like I was made redundant from my previous job in May 2020 and I took a job doing this, but I'm now keen to return to the arts, for example, something like that. And we get that, but you don't need to give valuable CV space over to something that's not actually going to contribute to the job you're applying for. Yeah, I completely agree. Because we saw um, so many... It, it's, I, it, it's very difficult as people who are reading a lot of CVs to be entirely without prejudice on this as much as we try to. We do look at the first line and create an immediate impression. There's just no way around it. No. Um, so, you know, it's very important, as Rachel says, to... Um, to have that and we to follow on from that we also saw quite a range of approaches to dealing with gaps in employment didn't we um so like as i mean i agree completely with rachel i think one line that explains it is great because if it's not there you i mean i wasn't massively concerned in this latest round about seeing what people had been doing chronologically but some places are interested in that and mm. some places will check your career and wonder what gaps are. So I do think acknowledging them 
um, in a straightforward way is a good idea, but I wouldn't overdo it either. So entire paragraphs, again, taking up valuable space about the difficulties of a job search, we're very, very sympathetic for that, but actually it doesn't really help us evaluate whether or not you're a good fit for our organisation. Would you agree? Absolutely, yeah. And it's even possible to lay out these things where you have at the top more detail about the roles which are relevant to the job that you're applying for. And then underneath that, you can have your chronological list. So you can still list it somewhere if you mm. feel um, like, like you say, it can be possible for some employers to think be a bit suspicious about gaps. But you can list your run through. But just, yeah, not every single job needs to have that massive paragraph next to it. Something entirely irrelevant, maybe just a couple of bullet points. Um, and yeah, really push what's relevant to the top. Um, and actually following on from, from Rachel's point, I think, and, and yours, Katie, actually, that sort of you take the first impression of a CV, um, uh, how it's laid out and the relevant information being in the right places is so important. Um, and I think also over the years, I've seen some people do incredibly beautiful CVs. I mean, it's remarkable. I'm in awe at how well people put together CVs because I don't have that skill personally. But, you know, especially people <laughs> who work in marketing or graphic design, they often have a very sort of sexy layout. But just to say that there are loads of really good free templates out there. And I have seen CVs over the years which are not well laid out. They're just shoved into a Word document. And it really doesn't have to be, you know, the graphic design um, product. It doesn't have to be something super special. But I think if it's very underwhelming, again, that does give a first impression. A bit like you wouldn't turn up to an interview wearing um, really casual clothes. You try and give that good impression visually. I think your CV has an element to that too. And just making sure it's clear in terms of content, but actually quite presentable um, is quite important. And, uh, and like I say, just get a free CV. Don't feel you need to sign up to some expensive CV service. I've, I've Googled before and it's amazing what is out there. So maybe have a look at your CV and think, oh, could this do with just being laid out in a slightly better way, um, slightly clearer, if that makes sense. Mm, Google good. Docs has a great CV template, which I actually used when I applied for this job. There we go. And I think, you know, you can overdo it, like, can't you? It's this kind of... Um it's this kind of you know I was, I've seen some where I've been like I'm so overwhelmed by formatting I almost can't read what's in it so it's all about it is all about presentation it, but not in terms of being very complex more in terms of being just super clear yeah. um exactly and and again I don't know I so and again this might not be advice that is completely applicable to all organizations but I certainly felt that in so I've been doing a lot of thinking about how much work it is for people to apply for jobs which is why I've been using the CV and cover letter approach rather than a um, application form or anything like that because I do think it's easier I certainly find it easier to do that and also we have had a, um, a video option which I'll come back to in a minute because this is interesting so yeah I would have rather seen something that wasn't massively like necessarily complete in terms of chronological information, but gave me no reason not to interview you. Mm. Um, you know, even if it was very clear that this was a not a kind of list of everywhere you'd worked, but a sense of what you understanding. And this comes back to Rachel's first point. Um, you need to understand the organization that you're applying for. If you don't show that you know what they do, you're very unlikely to get an interview because ultimately you're there to solve a problem or to fulfill a role that exists and you need to understand what that is and how you're going to fit into it. And that's what you need to demonstrate to people. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I think that a CV and cover letter that does that and talks about something super passionately and super clearly mm. with like dem so the other thing is like demonstrable detail as well so mm. i've read quite a lot of cover letters recently that because we've been you know like for example for roles in marketing there are a lot of like um industry buzzwords aren't there that uh, they have a lot they're very important the, ro the work is very mm. important but you can kind of list i've done this i've done that i've done you know things and um I found it difficult. Obviously, I knew that I needed all those skills, but in people who basically just listed those skills that they'd done within an organisation, I found that difficult to penetrate in terms of like, whereas the people who gave me one case study of like, I ran this campaign, this is what I did, and this is the outcome, that was that told me how they were going to solve a problem, if you see what I mean. 
Yeah, definitely. Like specific things you did. Your CV shouldn't be a copy of your job description mm -hmm. from your previous roles. It should be like what no. you've done. And I also think this is where I'm using the segue here into yeah cover letters. That is where you really. We, we really want to see we're like we're a class we represent classical and folk musicians we really want to see that you like folk or classical music or are interested in it or hopefully both or or are um, going to bring something else to it that you're yeah. bringing from elsewhere yeah absolutely this, yeah. but if you if so if so to take marketing as an example so marketing is one of those ones you might easily have an amazing marketing track record but have never worked in the arts and so if you were like, oh, you know what? I think it'd be really cool to do arts marketing. You know, I've spent the last 10 years selling engine oil. I'd really like to sell classical music instead. Great. But we, again, you need something in there to say, you know what? I think it'd be really cool to work for classical music because I went to a concert when I was eight and it's just stayed with me my entire life. And I always listen to Radio 3. Put something in there. Because if you don't do something like that, we're going to look and go, well, I'll look. I mean, they've worked for engine oil since great so they've run some good campaigns they've done some good stuff actually yeah we know that brand name they obviously know what they're doing but they don't seem to want to work in class like why are they applying for us now are they just mm. automated do they want to work class music we don't know we're not psychic so please yeah. tell us why you're applying to us and what it is that appeals to you about our organization um and i know again going back to what katie said about universal credit I re we realize that people in those situations you have to apply for a certain number of jobs a week and it's not a great system in terms of giving you the time that you need to really tailor and work on your cv and cover letter for every job but um and obviously i'm sure that there will be sometimes you're applying to jobs that you just don't really care about and you're doing it because you need to tick a box in that form to say we apply for this job this week mm -hmm. um, but if you can try and drum up some kind of internal enthusiasm for you, within you, for that job, mm -hmm. um, then I think that really does come over. The people who had clearly just submitted exactly the same cover letters to us as they had to loads of other organisations were quite obvious, particularly, you know, if, and I've come across this on multiple jobs and multiple cover letters where they forget to change the name of the organisation they're applying to to the organisation they're actually applying to. Um, it does, it is obvious. And um, so if you are keen to get the job, really just put that 15 minutes in to read the website of the place you're looking at, find out a little bit about what they do and say in your cover letter, I really want to work for you guys for these reasons. Mm -hmm. um, and I, that, that genuinely would really help push, you'd be surprised how few people actually do that. Yeah. It, yeah, absolutely. So I've I've seen that exact mistake, wrong organisation name in every single round of recruitment that I've ever done in my entire career. Mm -hmm. And I so and it is it is possible. It's the kind of thing, I like. I sympathise because you know you send it off and you're like, ah, what did I do? God. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. And actually, I'm I'm just thinking back, and I think in. The, uh, previously I did I did still interview someone who did that because I'm trying to work out if it was a deal breaker for me mm. but essentially for, for jobs where there are lots and lots of applicants and only one role I think I you guys would probably agree I certainly know from recruiting in a university what people are basically doing is they're sifting through for reasons to discard the application and say I'm just not going to read the rest of it because they're not going to read 80 applications for one yeah. role They've got like some kind of, um, they actually called it a killer question in, in the recruitment that I did at the university. They had a question and if you couldn't score a four in their scoring system or a two or whatever, I can't remember what the highest score or, you know, yeah. or if you were going to score a zero in that, they just didn't even bother reading the rest of the application and, and putting putting the wrong um organization name quite likely to be one of those things that people are just like we'll just know because and so actually as much as I sympathize and we've all done it um it's really I think it's important to think about it in those terms it's like you have to give mm -hmm. us no choice but to interview you <laughs> yeah and actually just to say like you I think yeah you're making yourself you have to be an applicant who's actually outstanding because suddenly there's a bit of a mark against your name so if you're gracious as you mm -hmm. were that prior person thinking okay let's go interview them that's still in the back of the mind and like you say when there's so many people applying for a role the smallest thing can can nudge it because you think well actually 
all five of these people who we've interviewed could do the job. Generally, you think the person can do the job if they come to get to interview stage, you know that they could probably get through it. Yeah. And then you're nitpicking effectively. So yeah, just yeah, lose a footing on something relatively simple but like you say we've all done it so it's, it's one yeah. Of well yeah but you're looking what, what's happening is you're looking in in the interview if you do get interviewed the, the person is looking for whether this is like a a general lack of attention to detail problem mm-hmm. or literally a one-off yeah. like howler that you can we can yeah. all laugh about is it a wider exactly you're just giving people the wrong thing to remember about you essentially mm-hmm. aren't you exactly um and actually just to follow on from what you were saying rachel as well about mentioning um about the job and making it specific and you know like you say you can work in a different um type of company and think yes i um, but i love classical music and i think don't um don't underestimate um when you're applying how important it can be to talk about your interests i think sometimes people feel like oh if i'm not paid to do this then they're not going to think it's relevant on my cv but actually Mm -hmm. If someone applied for them, I'm in an amateur orchestra or I'm in a choir or like you say, I listen to the radio, I attend concerts or even specific things like I love this artist and I followed them throughout my life and I think they're wonderful. Things like that actually do go quite a long way mm. uh, and especially so if you're coming, making a jump from a slightly different industry or a totally different one, mm. you know, that's when the, the sort of the, the other interests need to come in because you need to um, sort of, uh, yeah, value for our attention and say, look, I, I, I may not have exactly worked in this industry but I'm really passionate about it I obviously have the skills which are transferable give me a chance so um so yeah the rest of the the non-paid for things you might do which actually will will again embellish your application yeah I have a little bit of a cautionary tale on this one which I'm going to tell because it was my uncle interviewing someone about 20 years ago in a totally different industry so I have no idea who this person is (laughs) um so he used to interview people for British Antarctic Survey. So they go down to Antarctica and they do um, they do uh, research down there. And he had somebody who applied for the job. They Their base at that time was in Cambridge. So in the UK was in Cambridge. And so they were running interviews in Cambridge. And there's a Antarctic museum in Cambridge. It's free to go. You just go in. It's got lots of stuff about Antarctica in it. And somebody said in their couple of letters, they really have been like childhood fan of the Antarctica. They always loved the Antarctic. It was really amazing. They always wanted to go. It was really exciting, blah, 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 passionate about it. Blah, blah, blah. And he sat down at his interview and my uncle asked him at some point in the interview, oh, so have you been to this museum? And this guy's like, no, what? Didn't even know me. Hadn't lived in Cambridge oh. my life. And theoretically been passionate about Antarctica his entire life. He's never been to the Antarctic Museum in Cambridge. Now, the chart, he, my uncle's impression of this was this guy basically lied on his cover letter that he hadn't really been that interested. And he said, in that moment, if this guy said, okay, you've got me. Yeah. I, I saw this I, letter and I just thought it sounded amazing. It never even occurred to me to go to the Antarctic until yeah. three weeks ago. But now I'm just so excited about it. Thanks for telling me museum. I will be hitting that this afternoon. This is why you should still give me this job. He'd done it, but this guy didn't own it. He was just like, oh, oh, made excuses about why in the 25 years of his life up to that point, he'd never been to this free museum about Antarctica in the town he'd lived. So don't lie on your cover letter. If you're not actually interested, yeah, don't say you are. But if you can listen to Classic FM for the whole afternoon before you do the application, at the end of the afternoon going, I've never listened to classical music before one o'clock this afternoon. But I listened to the afternoon concert and then the evening concert today and I'm a total, I'm totally hooked. Marla's Five changed my life. Do it. But yeah. Don't lie. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Everyone exaggerates to an extent. And I think there's the, yeah. Yeah, definitely that line between embellishing and exaggerating something a bit and then just flat out lying and yes not remembering what you said but uh, but what you say like owning it is really important though because i think we can tell and and not necessarily um you know as a kind of deal breaker but i think we can tell the difference between someone who's really like into this job for whatever reason um and i think and the same as the person who's applying knows as well actually so I, in some ways this advice isn't just for you know getting through a cover letter situation it's also about whether you should be applying for the job in the first place or giving deeper thought to why you're applying for it because uh, you know even if it's not as rachel says because you've had a lifelong interest in marketing classical music for instance um you might have developed one having read about the company or having read about you know mm having been got into classical music in the pandemic or having as you say needing a job reading about things and then getting into classical music three hours ago um because (laughs) there are transferable skills and a big conversation that we had in the um in the recruitment round that we recently did was about um what 
do we need people to have that we can't train them in? Because there are differences there. We don't necessarily, depending on the role, we don't necessarily need people to have an encyclopedic knowledge of the classical music industry. But in some roles we do. And and the marketing one was interesting because actually there's a big case for bringing in someone who does marketing in a different field because we already have quite a lot of people on the team who are classical music marketers to one extent or another. And so we were actually comparing CVs from people who weren't in that field and were, and you know, all this kind of thing. But the, in the end, one of the questions I ended up asking myself was, I still, so a knowledge of classical and or folk music was in the essential criteria. And so when we got CVs from people who hadn't mentioned that, despite having glowing marketing experience of the type that we wanted, if they hadn't mentioned that, I was struggling to see why we should interview them because actually mm. yes bringing your own experience yes you can learn things yes so on and so forth but actually it's the re- the essential criteria are there for a reason mm-hmm. um and you sort of need to answer them to some extent yeah. um well i mean I, I think you do need to answer them i don't think you necess- you know saying what we said about impactful cover letters i don't think you necessarily need to go through the whole job spec one by one mm. but um but you know it's um it's critical to, to, to know that the, again, it comes back to Rachel's first point. It tells you that the person understands the job and the organization. Yeah. Um, it's it's a small thing. And actually for someone to sort of forget to mention what the the company is about, it, it, that's actually quite a big thing when you're going through, especially when you're competing against all the other applicants, you just need to show that you've ticked a few boxes. Like I know what your company's about and I, I do have an interest. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, shall we talk about video applications? Yeah, go for it. Anyone Ooh. want to kick off on this? I've done one, and I have. Um, when I applied for this job, I could have done one, but I had a really, really nasty cold and could barely speak, so I didn't do one. But I did do one for another one, and that was a quite interesting experience. But um, I, uh, I do think that the advantage of doing a video interview is it allows you to put nuance in, which is nigh on impossible to do in a cover letter if you're writing someone who doesn't know you and you don't know them you it's very limiting in terms of what you can communicate whereas i think with video you can um you can use sub clauses better you can um put more nuance on it you can put emphasis in and i think it's it does give you a lot more um it's a lot more human in terms of interaction um but yes as i say when i applied for this job i basically couldn't speak so there are practical considerations <laughs> yeah. um, to take into account when you're doing video applications yeah I also think you can show personality in a slightly different way so I was having a discussion with a client last night about a, an application she's putting in for some funding and she, the, the project she's applying for is a very um, emotive project to do with inclusivity and, and racism anti-racism mm-hmm. and um, so there's a lot of you know in expressing things like that in funding application speak you know you moderate your tone you try not to get too angry and enraged or any of the things that we often feel when we're talking about this and she came up with this great analogy for something that involved a fairly emotive metaphor and I was like that is what you can put in the video application because when you deliver it like that they will know that it's metaphor and that it's not you know that it's, it'll come across in the right tone. But if you wrote that into a funding application, they would just be like, mm. don't know how to take that. Do you know what I mean? Um, I think that's the thing as well with cover letters. I personally, I, I've never been a fan of writing them. I always No. <laughs> people can read into too much of what you're saying or it, it can, or sometimes you can just struggle to translate what you're trying to say I mean obviously most well a lot of jobs out there involve writing well and I get that that's sort of a first stage of proving it but I think like you said Rachel the beauty of of filming and speaking is that you the nuance is there you can come across um in quite a sort of forward way but it's still professional um and I think also sometimes you can just convey your enthusiasm for the role whereas if you're writing that down sometimes I've seen applications where people throw in all of these big descriptive excited words yeah. to convey the fact they're really into the job but sometimes you think oh my goodness this person has just gone through a thesaurus and it's a bit <laughs> yeah <laughs> well and I know exactly what they're trying to do and I really sympathize because I feel the same sometimes I think oh gosh you know do, does this sound a bit twee now because I was saying how thrilled I am the whole time whereas if you just say it in a video I think it can come across it can be a bit more subtle nuanced um so there is yeah there are definitely certain advantages there of course mm. some of that are wonderful at writing 
uh, cover letters. And um, I think, you know, if, if, if that's your strength, then absolutely play to it. But mm. if, you're, if you're someone who perhaps like me, you sort of find that writing a cover letter can be a bit of a slog, then yeah, the video is kind of a nice alternative. Yeah. Having said that, I've never actually done a lot of video application, but, <laughs> but you know, uh, 10 years ago, that wasn't really an option, 11 years ago. The last yeah. I, would, I would say if you're going to do one, then have, do, do like a few bullet points that you're going to talk through in advance. Do think about what you're going to say in your interview. Don't just, in your um, video, like, submission, don't just, like, riff it, you know, keep mm. it to a couple of minutes and keep it like think about what you would put in a cover letter and then deliver that cover letter verbally yeah. rather than just yeah yeah and actually, especially especially if it's a replacement for a cover letter so interestingly and i hadn't thought of this so i offered um video as an alternative to a cover letter in the last couple of rounds of recruitment that we did this application that i'm talking about that i was working on last night had an application form and a video option but the application form was relatively short and brief and um but it, it did basically want to see some written down details which i suppose in effect is kind of similar um, to like a CV and a video um, mm -hmm. but I do think you know obviously there are different things being demonstrated by both but I do obviously the a major reason for doing a video is also the inclusivity aspect it's much easier especially for people with um, things like dyslexia where it would take an awful long time to write a cover letter and so on and so yeah. forth and again I'm really keen and this is something I don't know how widely spread this is in the arts industry but for me ease of applying is super important as I, and, and this is maybe more for the recruiters than the recruitees but I just feel that having to basically um scroll your whole through your whole professional history several times a week when you're applying for jobs is just so wearing mm. um and I love to find ways of recruiting that bring like lightness and enthusiasm mm. to mm. essentially it not being super super difficult to get a role um ideally if you know what I mean it's still difficult because there's still a lot of people and um yeah. never enough roles but um but you know yeah and can um, I go back to that as well I in my time have seen a, a video interview where the person was terrified they looked terrified and I think also play to your strengths if you think yeah. oh, this is an option don't feel you have to take it if it's not your thing because it can be slightly odd sometimes to think oh this person's done this and you assume they want to do a video uh, interview because it, you know they it's, it's playing to their strengths and then you watch it and you think oh my gosh they're rabbit in headlights so yeah i think you know maybe show it to your friends get get some family feedback from people you trust and people who can give you an honest opinion and yeah. do it that way um yeah, yeah as so i'm somewhat i find uh, oddly given that i do this i find um doing planned things on video uh, really difficult because I find it very hard to remember what it was I meant to say and I worry about garbling I don't mind doing podcasts because we're just chatting <laughs> but, um, I get, um, and so I get into this sort of like panic of trying to remember things. I remember the first time I did an intro video for my website I had like 40 two second clips on my phone of me going hello and I go oh god no that sounds ridiculous um, <laughs> uh, so like Probably not then. one of my strengths like I would rather write a letter <laughs> so that's, uh, yeah it works either way so I wanted to uh, shall we move now into some specific kind of um I say stories carefully again. I promise you, if you've applied for a job with us, we're not going to tell your story in it no. in, a, yeah. uh, in this way. Oh, However, oh. I am going to tell Rachel's story because. Oh, um, <laughs> so, Before I do, can I just make one more, just more? Yeah, <laughs> we had quite just again. It goes back to us not being psychic. We yeah. don't know what certain job titles necessarily meant. We don't know necessarily what certain qualifications qualified you to do. So we had a lot, we did have a lot of applications. This one that mentioned like music management qualifications. We have no idea what you did in that. If you went to yeah. music college and played violin at music college, we've got a pretty good idea of therefore that you've come across classical music. If you have a less, a more broad qualification or a less specific qualification, please make sure you tell us what was in that because we, we mm. don't know. We're Realistically, we're not going to spend time downloading the um, spec of that that course to find out what yeah. you did. Tell us what you did. Or specifically, tell us the bits of that that were relevant to the job you're applying for. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it all comes back to the same thing. Please hit us with all the relevant stuff that you can give us 
right at the top. All of it needs to go at the top. None of it needs to go. All of it. Yeah, <laughs> just need a really big top, but then that's yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So we've given lots of like tips and things, and um, I, actually, it's been less kind of like um you know do this don't do this than i than i thought it was going to be but um but because we we acknowledge so many of the the various nuances to do with doing stuff like this however um i i suppose what i really want people to take away from this is that much like a lot of the stuff that i say about performing and composing and generally owning like yourself within your career um the very best way you can possibly have a good chance of getting a job is applying for the jobs that suit you really well and demonstrating to the people offering them how well suited you are for mm -hmm. them all of the advice that we've given comes under that so like you know in a sense traditional interview or cv do's and don'ts are always supplanted by basically it being really clear that you're awesome and you're exactly what yeah. we're looking for yeah. So to give the Rachel example, <laughs> I have no idea what Kate is about to say here. Oh, I feel like I have I said know. this to you before, but I promise you, I've never passed your interviews. Basically. So when, so when I've interviewed, when Susie and I interviewed um, Rachel for the job she's in now, um, we did the interviews lasted about half an hour. It was fifteen minutes before I got to ask any questions. <laughs> because she literally just like appeared on our screens and told us all about why she was absolutely perfect for this job without I really don't think I, I genuinely don't believe I asked any questions may have probably said hello and this in general I would probably say is not an interview do, don't do that. <laughs> however um it just didn't it just didn't matter because it was so very clearly obvious that um that all of the stuff you were telling us was exactly what we needed to hear yeah. So I just it, I just think it's a really nice example of how actually if you're the kind of person who just wants to arrive on a screen and just like splurge all the stuff that's on your mind, if you're right for that job, it's going to go down great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But also, also, Rachel asked the best interview question I've ever heard. We have definitely talked about this. Yeah. I can't remember exactly how you phrased it, but essentially... Okay, go on. Give us give us the dream interview question. I said, what is the problem that you want this role to solve? Because it was the, only, it was the first time you'd had an Inford wood-facing role. Yeah. And I, again, I had spent time on the Epiphany Arts website. This is me, practicing what I preach. I spent time and I'd looked through who worked, who you worked for in terms of clients, who worked for you in terms of the staff. I'd called friends who had worked with Susie before and oh. said, what's Susie like? What do I need to know about Susie? What do I need to know about <laughs> Katie? I called a friend, like people I worked for and sort of did this. I mean, that's one of the things where because I'd worked in classical music for 10 years, even though I was moving into a different angle, I still knew people. I mean, this yeah. is actually someone who the first time I met her was really quite drunk at another friend's 21st birthday party so you know it's like it's not like it's, it's mm. not these, these connections they you, your mate who you went to the pub with every night at university could actually be really handy this is where linkedin is your friend because you can look on linkedin and see who the people know mm. that you know and then call them and say what do i need to know and all i heard was they're lovely she's lovely she's lovely from everything <laughs> which also then gave you confidence when I went into that interview to be like, okay, so these are lovely people, so I can be like. Oh yeah. Be, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> and again, this is a responsibility of recruiters and it mm. is possible for people to know a lot about you. And one thing I would say to recruiters is to always notify people of who the panel is going to be um, mm. so that they can look you up on LinkedIn or whatever and get to know you a bit. Um, and I hope that what you're saying is that you were put at ease by knowing who we were and that we were and I was also struck as well by the fact that you um you introduced us to your son at the end because he cropped oh, up yeah, as, as little ones are want to do yeah. um and I remember thinking to myself like that was absolutely totally fine with me and clearly because you'd researched me you knew that mm. um how many times when I'd been when I'd had a young child I'd I'd attempted to avoid him getting in into the same space as work and mm. and so on and so forth and and how nice it was to have someone on an interview feel confident enough to be like and here's my baby <laughs> <laughs> um and it's again it's um so yeah i'm uh, i'm i'm didn't know that you did all that research and that's it <laughs> i'm glad to hear it worked out um yeah, and then you yeah. Want to after you heard all the feedback. <laughs> yeah. 
bloody. <laughs> yeah, it was quite interesting. So actually, I'm going to confess now that I actually kind of adapted that interview question from a website, which I go on about all the time, called Ask a Manager, which is run in America by an HR manager called Alison Green. And her, like, winner um, interview question is, like, what separates someone who's a, who's good at this job from someone who's brilliant at this job. And now that's obviously more for jobs where, so she's really trying to help people get into careers. So and for people who work for large organizations, so we're in a situation where there might be like 10 or 20 people doing essentially the same job. And so that's where you might, they, you might get a really good answer to that question because if you've got a pool of like 20 people doing it, some of them are going to be amazing at it, some of them are going to be okay at it. Yeah. And so that's a good question to ask. That wasn't really relevant as a question for this company because we're such a small team, it's getting bigger every day, but we're at that point, very small team. And as I said, this was a brand new role, but I still kind of want to know what I'm getting into here. Like I know now from what I've looked into that there's the people, these people are lovely. And I know from the artists they work for, because again, this is where again, because I've got history in classical music, I actually knew quite a few people who were in your in your group. And so I um and also or certainly I knew their work, even if I don't know them personally, I knew their work. And again, YouTube, I was on YouTube looking at videos of the, your clients to check, to see, well to check, I don't mean to check, I mean to see what they do and to listen to them and get to know them as clients. So that I really felt like I was almost immersing myself in that world of polyphony arts before I'd even walked into that interview. And again, I realized that I kind of had the luxury of time there because I was freelancing. I'd had a few freelancings all come to an end. And I think you asked me this in the interview, like, when can you start? And I was like, well, actually, at the moment, I'm doing nothing apart from moving house and planning a wedding and raising a toddler. So at the moment, I can Nothing at all. It was actually that was my most nervous moment in the interview was basically confessing I had nothing in the diary, um, and um, but that's that, actually positive for us because then we knew you had time. <laughs> so, yeah, so it was it that was that was for me that was the scariest point of the interview was mm. saying like oh yeah I actually have nothing on right now because it doesn't look great when you when you freelance you've got nothing. Yeah, on. but see I did not think that at all <laughs> because all I saw was uh, essentially a woman with a really young child and a freelance career and I know that when my son was the same age as as Benji was at the time that you interviewed that mm -hmm. I was doing virtually nothing work-wise as well really mm -hmm. um so yeah just didn't didn't compute with me at all um I think because we had such a stunning like cv and great experience and great career like there was no sort of oh but there's been a little gap here like that didn't really affect yeah it. and actually I I, this is just me i don't think this is true of everyone it's not universal advice but i'm actually really unconcerned about career gaps like i didn't look for them at all in any of the recruitment that i've done um if there was something really like i just kind of thought that anything really important would have come up do you know what mm. i mean and it just didn't i i wasn't counting dates i wasn't looking for anything like that um and i guess because you know I, I i mean i personally have a really strong abhorrence for the way career gaps are perceived so mm. i just I, but i didn't make an active decision not to look for them i just didn't look for them mm. Mm. Um, but certainly i also i guess like my experience has been of having a baby going on maternity leave then leaving a job and then having a very slow lead into building up um mm. a career from there so again I suppose that is where I'm coming from in the sense that it's not there is no fixed time for maternity leave there is no fixed time for getting a job after uni or indeed after or redundancy illness. or illness exactly yeah. other caring responsibilities you know it's there, that's just my my take on it and I personally think that that's a good take um definitely so and I hope that that's being you know emulated in in more and more places of course many it is many it isn't um as is always the way um, I do think we're probably in a bit of a spot now where that's going to be more tolerated for once a better word because yeah. everything everything got so messed up yeah. in the last couple mm. of years I think there's so many people you you will you are not going to be the only if you are the person who's got the gap of a year where you haven't had a job for a year or two years you are not going to be the only person in that pile who's in that situation yeah. no exactly or who's taken a random role a random job out of character like i really yeah. think that employers are ever going to be forgiving it's going to be over what's happened over the last two years and even going forward a bit because you know it, it still has the knock-on effect um and, and as as you said before rachel if if the company isn't going to tolerate that is it the type of company you want to work for because people need to keep a roof over their heads food on the table you know everyone had to survive in whatever way they did so yeah 
I, I really yeah. don't think employers should be hard on that at all. And I, th- I think that re- the people who are looking for jobs at the moment, uh, well, anyone who's looking for a job ever always feels in a potentially in a fairly weak position because obviously you need that and you want it. And it's um, it's very difficult. It can be very demoralizing, especially if you have to do lots of applications and things like that. And it's, it's really, really hard. And I know that there's a massive difference between, you know, applying for a job when you're feeling in a good space and applying for a job when you're going through a hard time. It has a massive impact mm. on on everything, on the bit on how hard it is to write things and do interviews and, and even look for jobs. Um, but I hope that this is a helpful episode in terms of just saying there are pe- we're out there are people out here who are waiting for you to come along and just like tell us why you're really great. And that's basically all, that's what we want. And we don't want to prove you wrong in that. Mm. We want to we want to be we want to be like, oh, amazing! This person thinks this person thinks they're awesome, and they're right, essentially. <laughs> Absolutely, and we want to, and people want um, their employees to be enthusiastic and sort of into their job and their role. And you think, yes, that enthusiasm is going to translate onto our clients, and then everyone benefits. So yeah, sort mm. of show show us how you can be, and then we know that's going to feed into everything else. Absolutely. Oh, well, this has been awesome. Um, has anyone got any final words of advice they want to say before we um, before we sum up? I'd say my definite top tip number one is keep it relevant. Cover letter and yeah. CV, relevant, relevant, relevant. Ask yourself, ask yourself that question every sentence you write, is this relevant to this job? And if it's not relevant, scratch it out. <laughs> Love it. And I guess if I have to give a top tip, it would, I mean, it's not the most important thing, but what struck me a lot in recent years is just, clear cv layout just get a template yeah. guys it doesn't have to cost money it doesn't have to take a long time lay out the information clearly it's basic but we have to skim a lot of things and it will save the time which means that we will give more consideration to your application absolutely and my mine is is why do you want the job what will you bring to it don't give us any reason not to interview well, I have to say we've ended up covering more than we expected, but <laughs> as the arts are opening up again and there are more opportunities out there, we know how important it is to make sure your application is as good as it possibly can be. If you want a roundup of our top tips and to hear more about our webinars and online courses, uh, sign up to our mailing list at polyphonyarts.com forward slash mailing dash list. And if you have any questions or any insights of your own, we would love to hear from you. So... It's goodbye from me, Katie Beardsworth, and from my colleagues here at Polyphony Arts, Susie Murray and Rachel Lockwood. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Music Works podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe, check out our other great episodes, and even better, leave us a review. You can also sign up to our mailing list at www.polyphonyarts.com forward slash mailing dash list for updates and news about what Polyphony Arts is up to for all you classical music folk out there. You can find more information in the show notes as well. Meanwhile, I'm Katie Beardsworth and I look forward to sharing with you the next great episode of Music Works. Music Works is generously supported by Alliance Musical Insurance the UK's number one musical instrument insurer. Alliance Music Insurance, serving the music community since 1960, proud to be the insurer of choice for over 70,000 musicians. Music Works is a Polyphony Arts production. Thank you for listening.